If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 14 and chapter 15. Now, in chapter 14, we want to look at Jonathan's victory. He's going to take the, uh, a battle and he's going to be victorious in it. Jonathan, we know, is Saul's son. But then when we come to chapter 15, um, Saul's failure in the area of disobedience. Now, we know that Saul is the king of Israel. He's the first king. Uh, Samuel has anointed him. God has given him the insight. And yet, uh, we again, we have these choices. And so we know that Jonathan is his son. He's going to take victory now, uh, another battle against the Philistines in chapter 14. And then again in chapter 15, King Saul's second mistake. He disobeys God's command to destroy all the armies of the Amalekites, including King Agag, and including all of the families. And you know, it's a hard place to be when you're reading this. Lord, wait a minute. Uh, you mean all of the Amalekites? Uh, even the men, the women, the children, and even the animals? And the answer is yes. And you say, well, why? And this is why people say, that God is a is a the God of you know wrath. He's a God of mean. He's a God of uh, hatred. And, and no, he's not. But listen, when you disobey God, there's consequences and there's repercussions. And so Saul is called of God, but he goes and does what he wants to do. And it's just like us. We're called of God, and we have the scriptures. God gives us his his word of God. He gives us literally the do's and the don'ts. And all we have to do is be obedient. Now, are we perfect? The Bible says no. But we strive as much as we can. I hate it when I blow it. I hope you do when you blow it. And we need to get back on track. And so we're going to learn from King Saul. We have a lot to cover. And so let's get into 1 Samuel chapter 14. And uh, Jonathan now, uh, Samuel's son, or excuse me, Saul's son, he defeats the Philistines. And this is an ongoing battle with the Philistines. He begins in verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, uh, let us go over to the Philistines, uh, their garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And then uh, Saul's going to be looking for him. Now, the armor bearer is very important here. Uh, he was the one that fitted you. He was the one that dressed you uh, for military war. And uh, he was a good warrior. He was usually appointed by the king or he was appointed by officers. But I have to say this, the uh, armor bearer was somebody special, somebody trustworthy. And so you'll see this. As, as Jonathan has this trust in this man. Look at verse 2 now. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migor, Migron. Uh, the people who were with him were about 600 men. And I want you to pay attention to that because that's a small army in considering what we're going to be reading. And so Saul is not anywhere near Jonathan at this point. Uh, Elijah. Elijah, Ahijah, excuse me, the son of Hitab, 
uh, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing the ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Now remember that uh, Samuel used to wear the ephod, but now it's been handed over. Uh, Samuel's up in age, uh, but he's still the prophet there in Israel. In verse 4, between the passes now, by which Jonathan sought to cover or to go over to the Philistines' garrison, uh, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And, and it's interesting, the names of these rocks, there are types of cliffs. One is called uh, Bozes and the other is Senna. Bozes means shining and Senna means uh, thorn bush. He's going to climb over these, him and the armor bearer. There's no other army with him. Uh, that takes a lot of nerve, but God is going to give him the favor. The front of the face, uh, speaking of these rocks, these cliffs, the front of one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. So Jonathan's armor bearer and, and Jonathan, they climb over this. I like that. In verse 6, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, speaking about the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Would you please underline that portion? God can use many, and God can use few. And I think sometimes we get the nerve, if I may, when I have a greater number with me. But what if God told you, and it's just you? And so many times we kind of draw back, and then we say, well, I want to wait for a few more people. When we speak about prayer in the New Testament, it says where two or three are gathered in His name. Now, what if it's just you? You say, well, wait a minute. I can't pray till two more come. Well, you have to think who's with you. If you're a Christian, you're born again of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God the Spirit is with you. God the Son is with you. And what about God the Father? So we, we operate in the Trinity. And I share this with you because I, I used to have a lady. She passed away, but she would call all the time here at the chapel. And she wanted me to pray with her. And she says, uh, you're the first one today, Pastor Bob. I got to call two more because where two or three are gathered. And I tried so many times to explain it to her. I go, because she would get a little angry when I wasn't here. Where were you? You weren't here. I wanted to pray with you. I says, well, I went home. How's that? <laughs> but anyway... Uh, don't think you need two or three. You can pray. And so, do all that is in your heart. And we're going to see that. But let's go to verse 6 again. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or few. It's not about the numbers. It's about God leading you and guiding you into all truth. In verse 7, so his armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart. I like that. He follows the lead of his boss in a sense. Go then, 
Here I am with you according to your heart. Hey, I'm going to back you up. These guys were considered, the armor bearers were considered very trustworthy. And by the way, they were seasoned veterans, if you may. They were good warriors. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. And what I see here, let's step out by faith. Let's see what God wants to do. I believe God's moving upon Jonathan's heart. But he's not going to know what God wants to do unless we take that first step. In verse 9, if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in the place and not to go to them. And if they say, come up uh, to us, then we will go up uh, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand. And this will be a sign to us. I don't know if you've ever studied what a fleece is. And so when we pray, when we're asking God, and we're looking for an answer, sometimes we put out a fleece. On your own, you need to study Gideon uh, in the the time of the judges. Uh, God was calling him, and, and he wanted to be sure, and so he put out this fleece. And God answers that fleece accordingly, then you better know that it's God. And years back, before we moved to uh, New Mexico, Mary and I put out a lot of fleeces, and God would answer them. And, and I remember we were so concerned about moving and so scared about moving, because this was a definite venture of faith. And so we put out a fleece, God would answer it, and I'd say, Lord, forgive me, but I'm going to put out another fleece. And he would answer that one also. And so, but don't be afraid to put out a fleece. And so this is a type of prayer. In verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And so a garrison could be uh, uh, many numbers. Uh, It could be as low as five to six hundred. It can be up in the thousands. We don't know how big the garrison was there, but there was more than two. And that's all Jonathan has himself and the armor bearer. In verse 12, then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them uh, into the hand of Israel. At that moment now, The answered prayer has come uh, to Jonathan. He knows that God is before him. He tells the armor bearer, follow me. Now watch what takes place here. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. Notice that he begins to take the victory. And as he came after him, his armor bearer, Armor bearer, that is, kill them. And so the victory has started. The first, that first slaughter with Jonathan, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men. And so you have to understand that possibly this garrison is not as big uh, as we think it should be. Or they saw two and they just sent out 20 guys. Either way, but notice that. These 20 men within about a half acre of land. And so they marched in, and just about halfway through the acre, these 20 guys are dead now, 
And so fear is going to set in. Notice verse 15. And there was trembling in the camp there at the garrison and in the field and among the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked so that it was very great trembling. God sent fear into their hearts. Now it's interesting when we have the power of God's Spirit in us. When the Spirit of God is working in and through us. And when faith is operating, when you're stepping out by faith, when you're so encouraged, and, and then you see God's hand, you might question it, but once the uh, initiation takes place, I mean, not only is Jonathan geared up, but now the the armor bearer is seeing this, and he goes, yeah, let's take this. And, and sometimes it takes, listen to me, that step of faith. Sometimes it takes that first step. How do you know that God is going to work unless you step out? Honestly, you have to make that first step. And now sometimes that step is not what God wanted you to do. He'll show you. And you're going to have to back up. But things are going great now. And there's fear. And they're taking the victory. Notice what happened to the people. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah and of Benjamin looked. And there was this multitude. And he the witnesses. They're melting away. And they went here and there. So they began to scatter. Uh, this is the garrison and such. And Saul said to uh, Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at this time, the ark of God was, in, uh, was with the children of Israel. Remember, the Philistines had stolen it uh, before, but they have it back now. But you're going to see something. It wasn't time to bring the ark of the covenant. God was already going before them. He was already giving them the victory. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistine, it continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. In other words, don't bring the ark. God is already at work. And, and I think that's important. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was God's domain. Remember, it was portable, and it was mobile. And so they would take the, the Ark oftentimes to the battles. But here's a situation where uh, God's already there. And so take it back. Withdraw your hand. In verse 20, Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor. This is the garrison now. And there was a great confusion. They were turning against each other. They were killing each other. All this has started by Jonathan and then the armor bearer following him. All this started after they stepped out by faith. And the armor bearer says, Hi, I'm with you. Whatever's in your heart, what God has spoken to you, I'm behind you. And so the victory is theirs, and King Saul doesn't even know this yet. Notice in verse 21, moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines. Now, this is interesting. There's obviously some that, you know, uh, they defected. They went over to the Philistines. The Philistines obviously took them in. The Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, 
they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. These are defectors, if you may. That's what I call them. Uh, they defected to the Philistine camp. But they came back to fight now with Israel because they sensed the hand of God. Uh, I like that. But yet, I'm wondering, Lord, what about these guys? They, uh, they abandoned your people. They took off. Whatever reason, God forgives them, and, and they're not finished there. Look at verse 22. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. Are these deserters? Are these that were so fearful? They went and hid themselves in the caves and, and you know, the crevices and stayed low. But all of a sudden, they hear a victory cry. They see a victory cry. Or they see, imagine, watching the Philistines taking each other out. And so, hey, let's go back. God evidently honors this. And so, it's beautiful to begin to see. Notice now, in verse 24, the caption in my Bible, I don't know if you have a study Bible or not, it says, Saul's rash oath. How many times in the scriptures when, when we see somebody take an oath or somebody makes a promise to God? And please don't raise your hand this morning, but how many of us in time past have made promises to God? You know, Lord, get me out of this mess and I'll become a missionary. He gets you out of the mess and you go, uh, Lord, um, forgive me. You know, so... Uh, don't be making promises. Don't be making oaths. You know, do what God's called you to do. And so we begin to see something now about Saul again. I, I put this in my notes. Uh, signs of Saul's changing from, listen, a man of humility. And then pride's going to set in. Uh, this promise, this oath is so ridiculous. It's going to involve his son. It's going to involve his son. Notice verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed uh, the people under an oath saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemy. So none of the people uh, tasted food. Now, you're in the army. You're in the military. It's probably warm outside, Middle East. You're on the go from the morning till the evening. Uh, you obviously are going to need nourishment. This is how ridiculous this particular oath is. I mean, it's good to fast and it's good to, you know, give this to God, but uh, these guys are in battle. And they're only going to go so so far. They need nourishment. But again, here's where his pride comes in. Here's where uh, literally it's, it's a very f uh, false move. He should have never done this. But again, we all fit this at one time or another. It's sad, but it should not happen. Make a promise and then we're sitting there. Lord, I, I didn't mean it. You're better off not making the promise. In verse 25, now all the people of the land came uh, to a forest. And there was honey on the ground. And so here's the wild bees and such. 
And, and think about the honey that was there. Now, you're hungry. And you need nourishment. You need some energy. And we know that honey has that as soon as you take it. And so they can't even touch this. Notice now. And when the people had come into the woods, uh, there was the honey. It was dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth. For the people feared the oath. I asked this question. Did God place that honey there? Did he have the bees, you know, uh, pollinate and such, and then now the honey's produced, it's there? It's for them. I'm, I'm sure as being warriors and being fighting men, uh, this had happened in time past. And so you would be out in the wilderness and such, and, you know, you would find something to eat, such as here's the bees, and here's the honey. It's right there for your taking. But Saul had made this promise. Saul had made this oath. In verse 27, but Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with such an oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand, and he dipped it in the honeycomb, and he put his hand to his mouth and his countenance. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they're, they're spent. They need energy. And he just took, maybe it's the, the point of his lance, I don't know. But he brings back the honey and he takes it immediately. Notice that it says, uh, he puts his hand to his mouth. His countenance uh, brightened. So he, got, he received immediate energy. That should have been answer that God had put it there for them. But Saul's not finished with this. But the other people had heard the oath, so they didn't touch it. Then one of the one of the people said, verse 28, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And, and the, the people were faint because uh, they, they needed energy. They needed nourishment. They witnessed Jonathan uh, eat the honey. They witnessed immediately he was refreshed. He was strengthened. He was energized, and yet they were faint from fighting. They were hungry. They needed nourishment, but they're not going to cross because of the promise that Saul made. Remember, one of the judges did a foolish vow. We'll get to that in just a minute. In verse 29, but Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Yes, he has. That's wisdom from God. Because Jonathan knew that by taking this portion of honey, it strengthened him. He was revived. He was just as tired as the rest of them. What my father has done, he says here, the people are going to have to eat this. My father has troubled the land. Look now. How my countenance has brightened uh, because I, I tasted just a little bit of this honey. And so, for his son to say this, my father has troubled the land. Verse 30, how much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which generally they would do, which they had found, for now would their not have been a much greater 
slaughter among the Philistines. I mean, these guys have no fuel. And I mean, think about it. Now, I was not in the military, but I always remember my dad. He always shared, you take care of your feet, and they're going to take care of you. And you feed the tank, and it's going to keep you going. And so it's very important. And so think about what's going on here. They could have destroyed the Philistine. In verse 31, now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajilon. And so the people were very faint. Now weakness has taken over. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them onto the ground. And the people ate them. And listen to this. This shows you how hungry they were, how famished they were. They ate it with the blood. In other words, uh, they did not follow the kosher law. And for the Jews, that was very important. And they would drain the blood. But they went ahead and ate the meal. That's what they needed. Then they told Saul, saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. Wait a minute, how about their... You know, physical being. What about the weariness, the tiredness? What about the fainting? These guys can't even go on anymore. They needed uh, some plenishing. They needed some food. Notice now, so he said, you have dealt treacherously. He says, roll a large stone uh, to me this day. Yes, they had sinned when you think about that. Because they did not drain the blood according to the Levitical law. This was law. But I want you to remember in the New Testament, Jesus was accused of breaking the law many times. On the Sabbath, he went out to the grain fields, remember? And he was hungry and and his disciples were hungry. And they took an ear of corn and he took the grain and he ate. And they said, what are you doing? You're breaking the law. Uh, One thing that you need to know and you need to understand, human need, listen to me, I've heard this said many times by Pastor Chuck, and we need to understand it ourselves, human need supersedes the law. We've shared before, if you're so strict on the law, and then let's say it's Sunday morning for you, and not Saturday, the Shabbat, but Sunday, and so you leave here, And you go down the street here and you see one of the brothers, one of the sisters, and they're broke down. They got a flat. And you could tell they're looking for the, uh, you know, the jack and they don't have one. And so you go by, but you don't want to work on the on the Sabbath. And so you wave to them. God bless you, brother. (laughs) Well, if they did have a jack, they'd probably throw it at you. And so there's a time and a place. Uh, Besides that. We're going to read later in the story of King David. His men are famished. He's hungry. And he goes to the priest and he goes and he says, give me, you have any bread? He says, the only bread we have is the show bread. Remember that? And that was for the tabernacle. And David says, give it to me. And he did. And so, again, there's a time and a place. Look at verse 34. Then Saul said, uh, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep and slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So Saul wants to do it right. So every one of the people brought his ox 
with him that night, and they slaughtered it there. Then Saul, listen to this, good move. He built an altar unto the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. So he's going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And this is good. He's going to ask for forgiveness of sins. And he's also uh, encouraged by the victory. And it's a time of worshiping and praising God. And that's a good point for us. When God answers prayer, when God meets our needs, no matter what it might be, please don't run off with a blessing without thanking God. You know, thank the Lord. Uh, when we go up to Albuquerque to go uh, be with uh, our, our kids and then the grandkids are there and uh, we're going to pray for our meal. And, and Robbie, which is four years old, he'll say, Grandpa, Grandpa, let me pray. He don't want me to pray. Because he's hungry. He wants to eat now. And so he says, Jesus, bless this food. Amen. And he's, he's already got the fork in his hand. You know what I mean? And then the other guy, he's two years old, uh, Noxie, and, and he's ready with his fork. So when they're hungry, they're hungry. And they know Grandpa's going to pray too long. And so I'm praying sometimes my wife's pulling my arm. Come on, slow down. These guys want to eat. But notice now, in verse 36, uh, Now Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, Let us draw near to God. I like that. Now Saul should have known that. But the priest said, We need to go to the Lord. And sometimes when God's answering our prayers, God's giving us favor, God's giving us victory, we have a tendency to forget that we had asked him before. We had gone before him. We had pleaded our case, whatever it might be. But when the prayers are being answered, we get that initiative. Oh, this is great. We're on a roll. Let's go. Have we asked the Lord? Have we asked of the Lord. We always need to go to God first. And so look at what the priest does now. And so Saul asked counsel of God. Uh, Shall I go down after the Philistines? So he does take the initiative to ask. He does take the initiative to put God first. Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. How did he ask? Verbally? Or did he ask for a sign? Remember in the Old Testament, the high priest would wear this ephod. There was a little pocket space in the back. We know that. And uh, it was kind of where both hands could go in. And and many times the priest would put uh, the two stones. Uh, They were called the, the Urim and the Thummim. And some scholars believe that was a yes answer and a no answer. And so would they move the stones around? Lord, do you want us to go up in the battle? Lord, should we proceed? And they pull out the stone, and it would be the one that says no. And so they were not getting an answer from the Lord. How they did it, we don't know. But notice now, it says in verse 38, And Saul said, Come over here, all you chiefs of the people. And he says, And know and I, and see what this sin was today. So. Saul thinks that's why uh, the request is not answered. That's why God has not responded. 
because of the sin nature, even though they've already eaten, and they did finally see that was an heir, but he's going back to the initial uh, uh, oath that was made. Verse 39, For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, uh, though it be uh, in Jonathan my son, listen to this, he shall surely die. But a man, but not a man among all the people answered him. Why didn't they answer? Because they knew it was Jonathan. But imagine you're the king now. And you're going to make this foolish oath come to pass? You're so willing to kill your own son? The people are going to intercede. In verse 40, then he said to all Israel, You be on one side, and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Many of them knew. I believe they knew that uh, Jonathan had you know, placed the, the rod inside to the honey, brought it back, put it up to his mouth, but they're not saying nothing. In verse 41, Therefore Saul said to the Lord, God of Israel, give a perfect lot. Give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. The lot fell where Jonathan and Saul were standing. Now Saul knows he didn't do anything wrong. Is he thinking, it must be my son? And so he's going to follow it up. But the people were spared now. There was nobody in the camp. In verse 42, and Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Sin by eating and to get nourishment? Again, Saul here making a big mistake. Notice verse 43, then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, and he said, I only tasted a little honey uh, with the end of the rod that was in my hand, so now I must die. It's a heavy indictment when you think about it. I want you to write this down. We studied it when we went through the Judges. Back in Judges chapter 11, Jephthah, is one of the judges. Remember, he took the victory over the Ammonites, and he was so excited, he was so jazzed, and he made this vow. And he says, Lord, when I get back to the camp, whoever comes out of my house first, I will sacrifice them unto you. Now, what was the judge, Jephthah, what was he thinking? A lamb is going to come out of my house? A goat or... You know, a bull? Oh, it was his daughter. And remember, it was his only daughter. His only daughter. I, I, I mean, this is Old Testament. I understand that. But you don't think God understands a foolish prayer? Lord, I said whoever came out of my house, I had no idea. I was excited and the battles were, were victorious over the Ammonites. And, and Lord, lo and behold, it's my daughter. God, you can't hold me to that. No, I won't hold you to that. And so sometimes, church, be careful when we're out there and, and, and we might make a foolish request. And make sure you think things out. Make sure you go to the Lord. And this is why it's important for me. I hope it's important for you. I've heard you pray. 
And we like here at Calvary Chapel, we like to pray God's will. Lord, this is what I want. Well, what's your will in this, Lord? You can't lose, church. You can't lose. And I know there's others that will say, you're being negative there, Pastor Bob. You have to tell God what to do. You show me in Scripture where it says tell God what to do. My Bible says, you know, hand it over to God. Trust in the Lord. Lord, I'm leaving it in your hand. Because I've made a mess out of it uh, too many times over. And so I want you to think about this. In verse 43 now, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me, who did this? And so he's going to have to confess this thing. Verse 44, Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Man, I'm thinking I'm Jonathan. I hope you're thinking you're Jonathan. Dad, what are you saying? I'm your son. And this is the foolishness of Saul. His pride comes in. I've said this out loud. Everybody heard it. But the people are going to have to intervene. Be reasonable. I think some of us have made these kind of prayers and then we... Have to retract them, and that's okay. Look at verse 45. But the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. Now, they took a lot of nerve to say this to the king, but they're right. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. And so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. This is sad when you think about it. And at the same time, it's great, it's good. The people had more wisdom than the king of Israel. The thing that they're doing here, uh, Saul, is not right. Look at the victory that your son has taken for Israel. Because he took a little bit of honey. And then after you let the rest of us eat, then you scolded us for the blood. I mean, he's just not making sense when you think about it. And so we have to seek the wisdom of God. Notice verse 46, then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul finally saw uh, the error of his way. And Saul finally uh, takes the gumption and the backbone to act uh, like a king. And so, the continued wars are going to go. Look at verse 47. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against uh, his enemies on every side and against Moab, against the people of Amnon, uh, the people uh, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah. Now, Zobah, are the Assyrians, or the Syrians, and they were out of Damascus. And against the Philistines, wherever he turned, he harassed them. Now, we know when Israel comes into the promised land, there's enemies in there. And God said, take them out. And so the victories would come. But there was also those times when uh, the victories, uh, they came but at a price many times. And so here's the whole situation. 
in verse 48, and they gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. And now we just see the family tree of King Saul and their sons of Saul were Jonathan, uh, Jishu, uh, Malkua, and uh, the names of his daughters uh, were the names of the firstborn, Mirab, the names of the younger, Michal. And so this is the family tree. The name of Saul's wives, wife was uh, Ahinoam and the daughter of Ahamaz. And, and the name of the commander of his army uh, was Abner. Keep that name. We're going to see it later. The son of Ner. And this was Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul. Ner was the father of Abner, as was the son of Abel. Now, uh, there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw that any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. And so the victories are given, but many times it's not without a price. And yet God still gave the victories. And the key is, and we're going to really see it now in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, how God desires, pay attention please, obedience. Obedience. Uh, this is the word of God. We have from Genesis to Revelation. We have the 66 books. We have 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. Generally, uh, we adapt ourselves uh, to the New Testament. And yet we see so much in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It's pointing to the cross. But Old Testament, New Testament, listen, God calls us to obedience. God says something and you do the opposite. And then uh, repercussions come, judgments come, and then you throw up your hands. Lord, why? We need to take heed to obedience. God gives a direct a direct call for King Saul what to do uh, with the Amalekites. But his disobedience and his self-will. Disobedience and self-will. And so 1 Samuel chapter 15 Samuel also said to Saul verse 1 uh, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice uh, of the words of the Lord. Pay attention. Pay attention. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on, on the way when they came up uh, from Egypt. On your own, if you're taking notes, you need to study Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites were from Arabia, and they mistreated Israel. God does not forget that. And so now, uh, the time to punish uh, the Amalekites had come. But I want you to mark this verse down. Because Saul is disobedient, he is also self-willed. In Proverbs chapter 29, it's a book of wisdom. Proverbs 29 verse 1 when we are reproved, sometimes over and over, the, the proverb says, then hardness takes over our neck. Be careful because suddenly God will destroy. In other words, you got that pride and you're kind of sticking your neck out. 
And you think you're somebody when you're really a nobody. And we have to listen uh, to the voice of God. And so the Amalekites have come against uh, the Lord's people back in uh, Exodus 17. Uh, God did not forget that. But Saul is little by little becoming self-willed. Remember how shy he was? And now he's kind of getting uh, the courage, and, but he's not listening to the Lord. Verse 3, he says, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both men and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. A vivid description, vivid call by God. Now, I've read many commentaries. And I've listened to many preachers on this area. And I like what Pastor Chuck says. Many times when these foreign nations like this, the Amalekites and such, they would have such sexual relationships. And it would affect their children. Listen to this. It would affect their animals. And so when God said, destroy all of them, notice the word utterly. He meant business. It's hard for us to conceive, hard for us to understand, but I want you to think about it. If they do have diseases, which most likely they did, God is giving them a way of escape. Take care of it, or they're going to infect you. And if you eat the animals, it's going to infect you. And so, a hard call, but it's part of the scriptures. Notice now. Remember, we shared about some of the armies. They were kind of minuscule, but look at this now. In verse 4, So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and to them uh, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. And, and so a good-sized army here. And Saul came to the city of Amalek, and he lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to uh, the Kenites, remember the Kenites, I'll give it to you right now. Go depart, uh, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. If you go back to Judges chapter 1, uh, the uh, Kenites were uh, of the tribe of Jethro, and Jethro was Moses' father in law. And so a lot of kindness was given there. God did not forget that either. In verse 7, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, he says, which is east of Egypt. He also took King Agag. Listen to this. And, and the king of the Amalekites, but he took him alive. He was told to utterly destroy all of them. And utterly destroy all the people with the edge of the sword. But he disobeys. Now, I, I could just see Saul. Lord, you said destroy all the Amalekites, but you never said anything about the king. Well, isn't he an Amalekite? So he's disobedient when you think about it right here. He disobeys. We may disagree. Again, God says wipe them all out. But God through Samuel gave the command, utterly destroy all the Amalekites. The key is, again, obey God. In verse 7, but Saul and the people spared Agag. And so those that went to battle with him. 
and the best of the sheep. Then he say to get rid of all the animals, the oxen, the uh, the fatlings, uh, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything uh, despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. So uh, the lame ones or the off-colored ones, whatever it might be. And so I want you to see this. God gave him a command. Now, we don't have time here tonight, but you need to study the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, remember that Haman in chapter 3 had a plot. He wanted the Jews destroyed. And it's so interesting, the Amalekites were descendants, or Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites. And so I want you to think how God does things. And we know that in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, she's the queen. And what did God say? The prophet says, you were put here for such a time as this. I like that verse. And so, all Saul had to do was be obedient. God placed Esther there. You say, well, what if they would have been annihilated? God would intervene somehow, some way, because uh, his people, Israel, are still here even today. Now, above verse 10, very harsh words in my study Bible, Saul rejected as king. I mean, God does not go around rejecting his kings once he anoints them. But this guy had gone too far. Saul's disobedience. And it was almost costly for Israel through Haman. Verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel and he said, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. Listen to that. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has a turn back from following me and has not performed my commandment. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord. Listen to this. All night. Samuel loved Saul, even though he saw that Saul was in disobedience, but he loved him. And he didn't want to see him lose everything. But rightfully so. But he cries out for him. I want you to write down this verse. And I've taken it to heart years back. And still today. In James chapter 3 verse 1. A greater judgment to those that teach the word of God. Greater judgment to those that are God's leaders. And you say, well, I'm not in the pulpit, Pastor Bob. Hey, you can be a leader as an usher. You can be a leader uh, in music ministry. You can be a leader when we go to Klein Park. I, I mean, there's so many different facets. God calls us all to what? Obedience. And we need to obviously set an example before others. And so in verse 12, listen to what Saul did. He takes it another step. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told that Samuel saying, Saul went uh, to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument, listen, for himself. Well, man, I had a tremendous victory here over the Amalekites. <laughs> and he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Now, it's interesting, this word monument, in the Hebrew it's Yad, 
uh, Y-A-D-D, and the word is monument, but if you look at the Hebrew translation, it means hand. It means hand. Now, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, uh, did he make a monument with, with his hand, uh, or did he you know, make that monument with his hand, or did he place a hand there? I don't know. But it says here, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. He brought glory to himself. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I'm sorry, but he's kissing up to him right here. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. No, you have not. But Samuel said, What then? And listen to this. What is the bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen of which I hear? Now we all know the, the lamb when they make the bah sound and that's what he was hearing basically. He says, what's that sound? But watch how Saul turns it around. He goes and Saul said, they have brought them, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen uh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have plenty, we have utterly destroyed. Be careful when you hit this category now of a self-willed man or a flesh-led man. Thinking, I'm okay. On your own, there's a beautiful study, some of you know it. Uh, in Romans chapter 7, the battle between the two natures, the flesh and the spirit. Now, what I love about Romans uh, chapter 7, I want you to pay attention when you look at it. In my Bibles, I've circled the, the letter or the word I. It's a personal pronoun. And Paul just goes through this whole thing. I want to do this, but I did that. And that's us sometimes. And so 26 times, if I counted it right, the personal pronoun, I. And we need to remove the I and put God there. Put God there. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, okay, speak Speak on. He'd just been rattling off, trying to cover his backside. And so Samuel said, well, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Did you so quickly forget where God brought you from? And I think we need to remind ourselves where we came from. We came from the, the sin nature. We came with baggage, and it's called sin. And God has mercifully uh, forgiven us. And so here uh, is Saul. I mean, he's become arrogant. He's become pompous. And he just keeps getting deeper. And we're going to see as we continue. Eventually, uh, there are those that say he becomes demon-possessed. Uh, I kind of lean that way. And there's others that say no, but remember he tries to kill King David. Even though David was a youngster then. But notice now in verse 18, now the Lord sent you on a mission. 
And he said, go and utterly destroy these sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them uh, until they are consumed. But you didn't do it. In verse 19, he says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoils and, and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And gone on the mission on, on which the Lord had sent me. And he says, and I brought back King Agag of the Amalekites. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Wait a minute. You brought back the king? I, I've studied commentaries on this. And they, they go all different ways. But I like this version. And that is, he brought back, he brought back a trophy. Look who I brought. I brought King Agag. And King Agag... He's excited. Hey, I'm going to be set free. And so he was not supposed to do this, obviously. It's a sad commentary in Saul's, uh, you know, life. In verse 21, but the people took of the splendor. Again, he blames the people, took of the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things which uh, should have been utterly destroyed. And notice he says, they brought them to sacrifice to the Lord, uh, your God in Gilgal. Why do you say your God? Isn't it our God? I think you can see um, Saul's heart. And again, that's why he spoke about the choice animals for the sacrifice unto the Lord. So Samuel said, look at verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, and mark this down, never forget it. To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Be careful that we don't give to the Lord whatever it is. I'm not talking about finances. To appease the Lord. That he would cover my sin. Uh, that he would forgive me. And then I go out and do it again. In verse 23, and pick up on these words. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. That's exactly what Saul did. And stubbornness, he says, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you. Radical statement. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being the king. Again, radical statement. Heavy judgment. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. And sometimes we confess because we're guilty. For I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words. Uh, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. He's going back to the people again. Now, does God forgive us? Yes. But God looks for a repented heart. On your own, you need to study Psalm 51. David was a man of sin, but David also repented. And Psalm 51 is a heavy, heavy psalm. Verse 25, Now therefore, please uh, pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Saul's pleading for him, for himself, that is. And at this point, his kingdom is going to be taken away. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord 
And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Not good. Not good at all. But Saul uh, did this to himself. So Samuel said to him, uh, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a, a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Who's he speaking of? King David. But at this time, David's just a youngster. But God's already preparing him. And God's already spoken to Samuel. And also strength, uh, and verse 29, and also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. He's speaking about the Lord. The strength of Israel is the Lord. And he says, and, and also the strength of the Lord or the strength of Israel, which is the Lord, will not lie nor relent. He can't repent. For he's not a man that he should relent or to repent. And so he took it away. That's it. You've done it, Saul. Verse 30, then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, uh, before the elders of the people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Again, he says, your God. Hey, Saul, he's your God also. But at this point, church, he does not get it. He has disobeyed God. That's the bottom line. And so Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord on his own. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, a king of the Amalekites, here to me. Uh, Samuel hasn't forgotten Agag. Agag's sitting over there thinking, I'm, I'm skating on this. I'm going to get free. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag says, surely the bitterness of, his, of death has passed. I'm a free guy. Is that what he's thinking? I, I personally do. We're going to come to the conclusion. Look at verse 33. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked. He didn't just kill him. He hacked Agag in pieces uh, before the Lord in Gilgal. Oh, I mean, what a judgment. Galatians chapter 6 says, Whatever a man sows, that hell, uh, he shall also reap. And so we have to be careful. Now, this is Old Testament judgment. I understand that. And New Testament, we're under the grace of God, unmerited favor. But if we continue to do what we're doing against the Lord, uh, there's going to be consequences, church. Verse 34, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up, uh, to his house at, at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. I want you to see the love that he had. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord regretted? Think about that. But what about us? God calls us to saving grace. Because I'm called... I'm in. What did we share Sunday? I believe in eternal security. I, I believe, you know, once saved, always saved. But I also believe, listen to me, the responsibility of the believer. In John chapter 15 is the doctrine of abiding. The Bible says, if I abide in him, he'll abide in me. The word to abide, I remain, I stay. And we shared Sunday. Uh, don't, don't tell me you're a believer. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Don't tell me you're born again of the Holy Spirit and, and you're still committing that sin, whatever it might be. 
There has to be change. God changes the mind, He changes the heart, and He changes the direction. There has to be change. And now, Saul was quick uh, to confess. He was quick, pray for me. Oh, I brought back the sheep. I brought them because the people said, and they were for the Lord. Oh, we're so good. Be open. Be an open canvas. I mean, unzip your heart to him. Lord, here am I. Forgive me. Forgive me. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much. I know it was a long study, Lord. First uh, uh, Samuel chapter 14, chapter 15. But thank you, Lord, for getting us through it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us the responsibility that we have, not just King Saul, but each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you for calling us. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for uh, equipping us. And Lord, I know it's tough sometimes, but Lord, we sin. We have an advocate. We have a lawyer for our defense. And it's Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord. Bless your people as they've come tonight. Bless those that are uh, viewing on uh, live stream. And as the teachings go out, Lord, we just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.